Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. I make devised theater, which means when we start a new work, we have no idea what it's going to be or how it's going to be. We don't. Not at all. Not, not really. I mean, I guess we're really trying to get down to something essential. We're trying to get to the molecule. We're trying to get to the nucleus. And maybe there are many nuclei. And then we're like, okay, let's build back up to a body. Let's build back up to a form. My name is Raja Feather Kelly, and I am a director and choreographer. In the last episode of American Metamorphosis, we talked about what it means to be adaptable and how leaders who can consciously change versus simply reacting to situations can emerge more resilient. Well, today we are going even further, and we're going to be hearing from the leaders, the entrepreneurs, the artists who imagine and execute things that move our society forward to places that we didn't even know were possible. The people who learn the rules so they can bend, break and reshape them. I'm Caroline Modoresi-Tarani and you're listening to American Metamorphosis. Sometimes when I feel that I'm on or I'm, that I'm onto something or creating something, I'm like, what I feel weird about is that this kind of has nothing to do with me other than that I am a vessel for something, mm. right? Like I know something has to be made, but being able to kind of follow the wave of inspiration and creativity and impulse is something that I think has become really important to me. Raja is the choreographic brains behind the Tony Award-winning play, A Strange Loop. And he's the visionary behind 2021's Met Gala. So when we wanted to understand more about what it really means to be a creative thinker and how to tap into a creative mindset, well, Raja seemed like the perfect person to ask. Imagining how a sculpture is built, right? You're, you're chiseling away at what shouldn't be there. When I am making something... What I certainly know is what it's not. If I have a huge piece of granite, I'm like, no, not this corner, not this edge, not this corner, not this edge. And then at some point, you have David, immaculate, smooth, perfect. Chisel. And it's hunch, right? Like you can't put, you can't put pieces of granite back. You can't mm -hmm. put pieces of marble back. So there's something about an impulse of knowing precisely just what shouldn't be there before knowing what it is actually going to be. As a Black queer artist, Raja began to learn and to question the rules at an early age. He chiseled away at the layers of his own identity, disregarding societal expectations placed on him to reveal the true artist within. I feel lucky that I was born in the 80s. Don't we both, darling? Don't we both? <laughs> but when I was in high school, the idea, like, there was, there was a gay club and there was the queer and questioning club. So there's something about upholding that responsibility like that, that my questioning about what is and what should be, as much as that's about queerness, that it is inextricably linked to also my blackness, 
because of just how I've grown up, right? Like questioning, you know, questioning, like, is everything all right here? Am I safe, right? Am I safe to question? Am I, mm. am I physically safe? Am I, am I a person who is allowed to have an idea that, ex- that is experimental? Am I allowed to have an idea that, it, that is experimental that doesn't have to do with my race? You know, question, question, question. This philosophy led Raja to start his own experimental company, The Feather Theory, which he describes as a dance theatre media production company. His approach is experimental but he also has to pay the bills. And while he enjoys being expansive with his art, he also has to work to tight deadlines. Raja, like a lot of artists, has to live in a creative paradox. My job is to solve problems. That is my job. And I see that that's the one thing that I see throughout everything that I do. I have my experimental theatre company. I work in the off-Broadway world. I work on Broadway and I make opera you know, and ballet, right? So these worlds are all vastly different in, in, in what they require from choreographers and directors. And yet my MO is to try to remain the same, like to try to have the same approach in each of those arenas. Hmm. So you kind of are creating an, your own sense of restraint, I suppose, in that sense. Exactly. Which is like stick to Stick to your approach. Stick to your approach. And is it possible? And I believe that it is. Like, is it possible to have the same ethos in my company and in a in a commercial space and an opera space and a ballet space on Broadway? Is that possible? I think it is. It's these conflicts and contradictions that challenge Raja as an artist, in a similar way to one of his cultural heroes, Andy Warhol. I'm in my office and I'm like looking over the computer and there's like these four portraits of Andy Warhol. One of Raja's favourite Warholisms is about how art and culture reflect and shape society. A quote that's attributed to Warhol goes, It's the movies that have really been running things in America ever since they were invented. They show you what to do, how to do it, when to do it, how to feel about it, and how to look how you feel about it. When I read that quote, that like changed everything for me. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's the sort of question that is akin to like what came first, the chicken or the egg, where you're like, "Do, do we create culture or does culture create us? These are the types of paradoxical questions that are core to nurturing our imagination. For Raja, his creativity has provided a path and career for him to express himself. And he says it's made him more resilient in the process. Yeah, I have one more question, which is just in in terms of resilience, like how would you describe that relationship between creativity and resilience in your life? The first thing that pops into my mind is that none of this is promised. I mean, I am an artist, but being a practicing artist or being a working artist or being a successful artist is something very different. Hmm. You know, when I moved to New York City, there were maybe 10 companies that started when I started. And I don't, maybe there's two of us left, right? Like there's something that's just about perseverance that I'm like, I don't know if I did anything different, but I'm still here. Maybe that's a part of the game. Just stay standing. You're listening to American Metamorphosis, a podcast partnership between Atlantic Rethink, the creative content studio at The Atlantic and Boston Consulting Group a strategic partner to government and business leaders. 
This season, we're exploring different mindsets and we're unpacking the science behind not just how, but why we think and act the way we do. Tapping into these insights can empower us to regain a sense of control in today's uncertain times and help leaders inform and refine their decision-making. In season five, we're building on everything that we've learned, but we're tackling a different type of obstacle, ourselves. And when it comes to being creative, often the biggest barriers to pushing the boundaries of what is possible is our own minds. And that's especially true when circumstances feel hard, like innovating with a looming recession. We fall into the trap of either or instead of yes and. But if we embrace the tensions of reality and we know that we can still be creative within it, we can unlock our imaginations without being bound by real world constraints. People who have a paradox mindset enjoy tensions. They find them energizing. Yes, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Yes, I feel torn. But first of all, you know, aren't we all? <laughs> this is just something that happens. It's part of our life. But, but also, uh, you know, how do I learn to enjoy and, and to kind of um, learn in this situation and to become stronger and more resilient? I'm a Lamar Inspector. I'm a professor of organizational behavior at INSEAD, and uh, I study paradoxes. INSEAD is a business school in Europe where Ella has been a professor since 2018. Her work broadly looks at our ability as individuals and groups to be able to innovate, and specifically through utilizing paradoxes. So she knows something about what it means to tap into the creative mindset. I landed on the topic of, of paradoxes years ago when I studied uh, a large R&D organization. As part of this research, I interviewed many engineers and product developers who tried to Im improve innovation uh, and, and efficiency and quality. They actually struggled with these competing demands. They, on the one hand, needed to be kind of to develop radical ideas. And in that case, the, the ideas were really radical. They developed technologies that did not exist elsewhere, but they also had to cut costs and to work really fast and to make sure that, you know, the products are reliable. These are the tensions. Some people actually mentioned or kind of thought about them in terms of trade-off, right? So they said things such as, yes, I need to be innovative, but I don't have resources and I don't have time. Hence, you know, what do you expect from me? And other people actually had what I now call more kind of a paradoxical approach because on the one hand, they said, yes, I see why, I, you know, there's a tension here. I recognize it, but I can also see why the fact that I need to cut costs and, you know, become more efficient pushed, pushed me to be even more creative and more radical in my thinking because, you know, I need to do the same thing with your resources. Paradoxes have been discussed by philosophers and scholars for thousands of years. And creative geniuses like Mozart and Einstein famously sought out paradoxes for inspiration. Ella has been inspired by this history, and she was curious if these individuals were naturally more creative than the rest of us, or if creativity is something that anyone can hone and practice. Do you have to be born with a paradox mindset, or is this something that you can acquire? So uh, I love this question and I, you know, I keep getting it when I, when I talk about this. Um, we believe that, you know, there might be, uh, you know, some personal inclinations, right, for, for kind of the tendency to think this way and, and embrace complexity. Uh, but I can tell from my own research and the research of my colleagues that uh, people can develop this ability. Hmm. So 
you know, if someone is, you know, kind of in your uh, in your classroom, as it were, um, you know, when you've got somebody who says, listen, Ella, I, I, I love this idea of, of being able to sort of think more in, in these paradoxical ways and being able to kind of hold basically a paradoxical framework in my thinking. How do you start teaching this? Uh, I usually teach them that, you know, instead of approaching a problem with an either or thinking about, should I focus on what happens if we ask ourselves, can we do both? And, you know, by reframing the question, they suddenly come up, you know, with ideas that were simply not available for them before. The, you know, this, I think, is interesting because it's, I think, sometimes when we're faced with philosophical frameworks, people think that they've got to be very, very complicated. But actually, what you're describing is relatively simple. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to execute, no doubt. But the notion of just sort of like reframing our thinking from either or thinking to both and thinking. Yes. I think that's that's like the sort of principal tenet, right, of improv comedy. It's, it's the yes and mentality. It sounds yeah. like what, that's what you're talking about. I, I, like the, I like the example that you just gave because, first of all, it's, it's something that you can acquire with deliberate practice, right? Uh, we have our you know, usual tendency and then you have to observe it, stop and say, okay, what do I do if I approach something or kind of try something new? And you're right that the yes end or the both end approach in that case, just open up a new, you know, a new, a new set of possibilities that you did not discover before. I tested these ideas in the laboratory and, you know, in a control setting, but I brought people to the laboratory and I, um, you know, kind of divided them into kind of uh, different conditions. um, And I manipulated the way they, they, you know, they were making sense of tensions. The first way we tested it was by uh, showing people, um, you know, competing demands in tasks. And and the only thing that we, you know, changed, we manipulated was how they framed the relationship between these two goals, right, that we keep facing in our life. Mm-hmm. So sometimes by, um, you know, by focusing on how do I reduce costs, so how can I reduce costs and becoming more efficient, it pushes me to think even more creatively. And, um, and by, you know, helping people see these complex relationship between these goals, we were able to improve their creativity. When Ella and her team focused their questions specifically on paradoxical mindsets as being an asset to creativity, they found equally encouraging results. We wanted to uh, see whether just contemplating about paradoxes improves their creativity. So again, we brought people to the laboratory and we asked them to, uh, you know, to write down three paradoxical statements. Uh, we gave them an example, right? And, and they wrote down the paradoxes. And, and then they, again, conducted kind of, you know, uh, classic creativity tasks. And we compare that um, to a condition where people came to the laboratory and just uh, wrote interesting sentences. So, you know, interesting sentences versus paradoxes. And what we found was, again, that, you know, reflecting on paradoxes, just, you know, trying to think about how two things that may seem, inco- you know, incompatible can actually coexist and, you know, you know, mutually reinforce each other, contributed to their creativity in other tasks. I think one of the misconceptions that people have about paradox as a paradox mindset is that it, it, it assumes that in every second, in every task, you always do do things simultaneously. I think what it enables you to do is to kind of at the high level, at the abstract level, long term, you say, okay, how can I do both, right? How can I grow? How can I you know, sustain? Or how can I develop innovation? And how can I remain or keep 
my workforce, right? Uh, all of the things that currently seems like contradictory. So you have these two goals kind of that kind of in the long term you, you aspire to achieve. But on the day to day, you are uh, behaving in a rather flexible way. So you always kind of decide and we decide again. And the important thing is that you never overcommit to one aspect at the, at the expense of the other. Right. So you need to find the balance. Well, I think some things in business never change. I mean, business is trying to create a competitive edge in a competitive environment uh, under uncertain and changing conditions. That's always been the case. Um, what's special about now? Well, I think it's the things that are causing the instability. I'm Martin Reeves, and I, I guess I'm uh, eventually ended up as a career business strategist, being a, a failed musician and an almost biologist along the way. Martin leads BCG's Henderson Institute, where he focuses on mining the best ideas from the world of science, tech and economics to better help business leaders harness imagination and innovation in their work and their companies. So tell me, what does that mean you do on a day-to-day? I mean, how, how would you sort of categorize your approach to, to businesses and what you sort of bring to the table? Businesses will constantly need new ideas. So uh, I'm a little bit out ahead of the parade um, surveying for the next idea. And um, there's plenty of interesting things going on in psychology and brain science and military science. And there are always companies doing things a little differently, anomalies, um, innovators, pioneers. Um, So I'm trawling for for new ideas that I then write about, speak about, translate, and um, eventually, hopefully, some of them become useful to to, to real-life businesses. Part of Martin's job is to provide new perspectives for business leaders when it comes to defining both imagination and creativity. When we use the word imagination, um, we we often think of um, a poet staring into the mid-distance, staring into the clouds, waiting for divine inspiration. And, and that is the sort of image of imagination that we've inherited from, I think, from the Romantic period in the arts. Um, the trouble with that is um, it, it tends to carry the nuance that uh, it's a completely unruly, unmanageable process, and we, mm. we shouldn't even try. Mm. Um, and I think that's unnecessary, not particularly useful. Um, we don't have a textbook, we don't have a playbook on how to harness collective imagination. So that was that's really the, uh, the trigger for all of my research. Now, what is it? Um, I, I define it um, uh, as essentially... Uh, the art of thinking about things that are not the case, but could be the case. So it's not pure fantasy. It's not thinking about um, sprouting wings and flying. That would break the laws of uh, physics and biology. But there's some things that are not the case that could be the case. And I'm quite interested not just in the act of um, ideation, you know, thinking the thought, but the complete life cycle of an idea, which ends up, of course, with um, a successfully imagined idea ends up being so pervasive that it becomes less than boring. Mm. So I'm interested in how to harness that, that very important process and somewhat neglected process in business. Martin literally wrote the book on how executives can harness imagination. Through his research, he's identified the multiple stages of an idea, from the first initial spark all the way to global mass production. What happens after the idea is out in the world and widely accepted, according to Martin, is actually the hardest phase. It's that time when you have to restart, reimagine, and reinvigorate the entire concept. Nothing in business lasts forever, so you have to reimagine. And reimagination is uh, is quite tricky because um, 
And the founder of BCG, Bruce Henderson, said something that was rings very true to my in my experience, which is that successful businesses are apt to become prisoners of the um, ideas that frame their their past success. And so actually seeing past your mental model of, of success and seeing beyond your own complacency and your own comfort and self-disrupting um, is, is quite tricky. So it's, it's actually not that rare to be successful. Um, you know, we live in a bit of a, an Andy Warhol world. You know, companies are, many companies are successful for a short period of time, but to be repeatedly successful, repeatedly reimagine, um, that, is, that, is, uh, that is quite a, quite a rare thing. And that's essentially what the book is about. Oh, in fact, fast. Okay. Well, I want to unpack a, a, a number of things there. So, um, first of all, I, I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on something that um, Bill Gates wrote about in his most recent book, which was all about sort of um, you know reimagining actually the, the energy sector and sort of thinking about different ways that we could approach the climate crisis. And one of the things I think that is fascinating is that in our pursuit of trying to um, change the landscape when it comes to climate change, some of the technologies that we are going to be reliant upon haven't even been invented yet like we we almost can't imagine what these could be and I'm, I'm curious martin how how do we sometimes ourselves get in the way of our own imaginings and our imagination imagination is involves experimentation the most likely result of imagination is the thing you imagined will fail and you'll have to reimagine and if there's fear in the environment you know if you've got a very sort of coercive or uh, performance-driven management that allows no deviation from the plan, you're not going to get any imagination. At the other end of the spectrum, if you're successful, you went to the right school, you know, you 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 bathe in your own success, everybody is proud of their success. Complacency is also a killer. So you have to be in the middle. You have to be, you know, a little bit paranoid, but not, but not, not, not too much. Striking this perfect balance in every moment and in every decision isn't possible, and it's not even something we should aspire towards. As Martin explains, leaders and businesses more broadly shouldn't view creativity as in opposition to the unexpected or the harsh realities of the world today. When we think about the current climate today and we think about some of the headwinds that businesses are facing, what danger do you see there being for businesses in this current? current moment i think it used to be that when i started in consulting um you could you could have a very simple mental model for business you could do most of the mental work necessary by thinking about products customers competitors and investors but now we have to think about society geopolitics planet um so all of the scales become mixed so that is the that is the uh, dilemma of business and i think you know where imagination fits in is, um, I think we need to imagine, as you said, new solutions, new ways of uh, new ways of thinking about things, and um, and therefore I think that although our tendency in crisis is to become defensive and internally oriented, actually we need to go the other way. And there's very good evidence that in fact the the companies that do very well in crises are the ones that do well through innovation and differential growth, not differential efficiency. Martin, how do you get business leaders that you've worked with into this mindset? Well, I think um, most businesses will be familiar with the business equivalent of what you just called the paradoxical mindset. Um, it's, it's called strategic ambidexterity. There are some very interesting and exotic ways that, that CEOs go about that. What's one of your uh, favorites? So one of my favorites is um, Indra Nui, the former CEO of, um, of, of PepsiCo. Um, she said that um, 
this was an essential idea in her business, but that she couldn't hire ambidextrous people. So she said that the best alternative she could find is to have two heads for every business, a run the business head and a destroy the business head. And she said that her job was to keep them fighting, which was actually rather hard because the the exploiters, the salespeople, the people that are driving the current model are very good at what uh, she called innovation theater. And they're very good at saying, oh, we've got this wonderful pilot and we're thinking about new things. And the mavericks, the outsiders that are thinking about the next thing, you know, they feel underappreciated. They're, they're constantly clashing with the sales force. They, um, uh, they, may, they may sort of uh, be, be kicked out or, or, or may sort of uh, just give up at some point. So it's actually rather difficult, but that was, that was, her, best, that was best, her best alternative, which is precisely um, not so much individuals having the paradoxical mindset, but having the CEO and the organization as a whole having this paradoxical uh, capability. You, men- you mentioned earlier Warhol, and I'm curious what your th- what you make of Andy Warhol in all of this, and uh, you know whether or not you you sort of seem to have a bit of an appreciation there. What was Warhol's mindset, and what was you know what was unique about him? Well, he he made this. I can't remember the exact quote, but he said everyone would be famous for 15 seconds or something, 15 minutes, and um, it seemed absurd at the time. Um, but actually, we, relatively speaking we've come to live in that sort of world in business where uh, advantage um, is more like a rocket. It goes up quickly. You know, you can you can scale a business model very quickly and that edge can be competed again, uh, competed away very quickly. And then so that mindset of serial temporary advantage, constantly renewing your edge, constantly reimagining is is the connection I made with uh, with Warhol. Mm, and he's quite in the future. Everyone will be world famous for 15 minutes. Yes. Well, I, th- I think that's the world we're in in business right now. Andy Warhol knew something about living the paradox, the creative and the commercial, that both and mindset. And it's that same mindset that leaders in the C-suite today and on the stage have to fully embrace. Just ask Raja. I feel lucky that I am both queer and black because... The idea of questioning is in with both of them. The way of like the, the idea of like looking at the world and not taking it for granted is within both of them. And like that's really what what I've learned from my blackness, from my queerness, from like competition dance, from competition speech and debate, to touring the world, to fighting for my work, just perseverance, just like doing it anyway. There are, of course, many ways to build creative resilience amidst real-world challenges. And for Martin, it comes from an open curiosity about the world, the people we meet, and the ideas we encounter along the way. And for anyone listening, Martin, if where should people start if they're really struggling and, they, and they're aspiring to tap into their own creative mindset? So I um, constantly want to renew my stock of ideas. And um, I'm an introvert, but I, you know, I, I have to meet a lot of people and I make choices about who to socialize with. And I, I explicitly sort of bias towards interesting people, you know, people that I, I don't know whether this is transactionally useful or not, but this person seems interesting. Why? Because I've learned that if I trust my instincts and are guided by curiosity, it tends to open up new paths and new options and, and uh, new problems and opportunities. You've been listening to American Metamorphosis. Join us next week as we move from paradoxes and the creative mindset 
to embracing failure.